Well, good morning. I want to welcome you on this beautiful day to our worship service, and thank you so much for coming. And I also want to take a moment and welcome all of you who are watching online. It's so good to have you with us. I wanted to say also that if you're a guest visiting this morning here, we want you to know that we've been expecting you and that immediately following the service, if you would just go out to the grand foyer, we've got a gift for you. And if you just happen to be looking for a home church, our prayer is that you might consider making Central Community a part of your church family. So yesterday and the day before, um, we had over 3,500 people in two services come and be a part of our Majesty of Christmas. Isn't that awesome? It was great. And I want to say a special thank you to many of you because I know a lot of you were involved. I'd love to go by and and go on and mention everybody by name, but there were so many people that were a part of this. It truly was a, a church event. I want to thank all of our orchestra, all of our choir. I want to thank all of our volunteers. I want to thank all of our greeters that were, all those that were driving out in the parking lot bringing people in. Um, I want to thank the camels and the donkey and the sheep. Um, I want to thank everybody that was a part of it uh, because it truly was the gospel message and we share that. And I just want to say a special thank you to Pastor George. We're so thankful for him and proud of him. We're so glad he's with us, especially after first service when he started dancing a little bit and almost missed a step, but he's here, so that's good. That's good. Can you believe that we're in the third week of Advent already? Two weeks from today, Christmas will be over with. Let that sink in a little bit. I know you're probably thinking, oh, that helps me with my stress, Pastor Bob. (laughs) But I just want to say to you that, you know, I know that sometimes church, we also sometimes can pile on things. And if you're not careful going to all the services and all the things that you have to do, you know what? You have to be careful that it just doesn't become a job or just become something that you check off your list. And so that's why we're doing this a Christmas like none other, because that's what I want you to experience this Christmas. It's something that we've been working on and you're going to continue to work on each and every day. You remember the very first Advent message, we talked about preparation, that Christmas isn't something that just comes and it goes, but we have to prepare our hearts for it. Excuse me. And we have to prepare our hearts for the coming of the baby Jesus. And we talked about the way we do that is we keep that direct line open, and we do that by confessing and repenting of our sin. And then the second step is is that we have to just refocus our eyes and our faith. We need to stop looking at all the things that we need to get done, and we need to start focusing on the true gift of Christmas, which is the baby Jesus. Last week, we focused on the announcement And all I wanted you to get from that is this. This baby that was born in Bethlehem was not just any baby. It was the Savior, the Son of the living of God. And this morning, what I want to focus on is the purpose. Why did that baby have to come? What was his purpose in coming to the earth as a baby? So to begin with that, I just want to say to you, and I want to just share with you some information that I found out. Barna did a study and there were about 1,000 people that they did this study on, and 88% of the people that they did this study on asking what's the purpose of Christmas were Christians, okay? 88% of them were believers. When they asked them, what's the purpose of Christmas, what I want you to know is this, that of the 88% that are believers, the 88% that are Christians, 37% of them answered the question with this, Christmas is about the birth of the baby Jesus. 
Now, I got to tell you, when I read that, I was like, wow, only 37%. So like you, what I want to know is, so what did everybody else say? What did everybody else say what Christmas was about? You know what they said? <laughs> Presence, giving and receiving, time with family, and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. In other words, just loving one another. <clears throat> I kind of have a problem with that. You know why? Because <laughs> that's what the world thinks. That's what the world believes Christmas is. It's about the gifts. It's about the presence. It's about the fact that we spend time together as a family. But what I want you to know is that that's not the purpose for Christmas. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to spend some time <clears throat> And I want to ask the question, so what does God's word say about what Christmas really is? Because that's what we really want to know, right? And so today, my prayer is that God would open your hearts and your eyes and your ears to hear from his word about what the true meaning and the purpose of Christmas is. Would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? As I read from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Now, before I do this, I just need to kind of set the, set the stage for what is taking place here. When Matthew wrote his gospel, there was a reason why he wrote it. And the reason why he wrote his gospel was is he wanted the world to know that Jesus was the Messiah, okay? That's something that you need to know. Matthew's gospel is about proving that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. At this point in time, where this verse that I'm about to read is located, there's a conversation that is taking place between an angel sent from heaven to a man by the name of Joseph. Let's pick it up here in verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would remind me once and for all the reason for the season. I'm so sorry, Lord, that I have to be reminded over and over again, but my heart wants to believe, and now my ears are ready to listen. Give me the purpose, the reason for that baby at Bethlehem, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so I want to begin this message with the end in mind, okay? I want to tell you right off the bat, what is the purpose for Christmas? And I want to do it by showing you a picture, okay? And this is my prayer for you. I pray that this picture would be forever forged in your mind. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I just want you to gaze upon that picture for a little bit, and I want to explain something to you about this. The purpose for, or the reason for Christmas is this. That manger will always be seen in the shadow of the cross. I'm going to say that again. The manger is always forever to be seen in the shadow of the cross. So you know what that means? It means that Jesus was born to die. Let that sink in a little bit. You want to know why the baby Jesus came into this world on Christmas? He came 
to die. Now, there's a word that we use quite a bit at Christmas time. In fact, we just sang about it a little bit. It's the word Emmanuel, right? We all know what that word means. It means God with us. What I want you to understand this morning is that that word Emmanuel is a title. And what it simply means is that Jesus is God with us. We'll say that again. Jesus is God with us. Will you say that with me? Here we go. Jesus is God with us. Now, that's very important for us to realize. It's very important for us to understand this morning because if you don't realize that Jesus is God with us, then everything about the manger falls apart. So what I want to do is I want to go all the way back 600 years to a man by the name of Isaiah, okay? Isaiah made a prophecy. It's in Isaiah chapter 7, okay? Here's the prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. All right, now, what this verse is telling us is simply this. The baby Jesus will be born of a virgin, right? That's what the Bible is telling us here. Now, the question that I want you to ask yourself is, so why is that so important, that this baby will be born of a virgin? Well, here's the answer to that question. If the baby is not born of a virgin, then it cannot be God. If it's not God, then everything that the claims and the promises of God are false and don't exist. They're all lies. If those claims, if those prophecies are false and they are not true, then my friends, there is no salvation. So here's what I want you to understand. There can be no forgiveness of sins without a virgin birth. So let's talk about that for just a moment, okay? What does it mean, or what is, what's the purpose of this virgin birth? All right, one of the questions that I've always wondered about is this. Was there ever anybody in the Bible that gave Jesus a hard time about the fact that he was born of a virgin? Was there anybody in the scriptures that kind of jabbed him, give him a jab at that? And you know what? There is. I want you to go with me to this verse in John chapter 8, okay? Listen very carefully. You are doing the work of your own father. That was Jesus talking there, okay? And he's talking to a group of people that are filtered with many, many Pharisees. What he's talking about is this. He's beginning to introduce the fact that he came as the Messiah for all people, not just the Jews. But the Jews and the Pharisees have a problem with this because they're saying, we have one father and his name is Abraham. Look at what it says here. The Pharisees were the ones that said this. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. All right, now that right there is a little jab at Jesus. And what they're actually saying is this. We're not illegitimate children, but maybe you are. 
You see, there were rumors that were going around when Mary was pregnant. And one of the lies that we know from history is this. The rumor was that Mary was pregnant by a Roman soldier. Did you know that? She had gone to visit on one of her trips to, to one of the garrisons, and there was a Roman soldier who got her pregnant. That was the rumor. That was the lie that was floating around. Now, I want you to understand something about this. Scripture is crystal clear about this point. And I shared with you why Scripture is crystal clear, because it is so important. If there is no virgin birth, then Jesus is not God. I want you to look at this. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The Bible confirms Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Everybody clear on that? That's really important to understand. Okay, now. So now the question that I want to ask is this. So this is a conversation now that is taking place between Joseph and the angel. Why in the world did God send an angel to Joseph? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? Because Joseph is struggling right now. In fact, he's having a real hard time. What's he having a hard time about? What he's having a hard time about is that his bride-to-be, his fiance, had just told him that she was pregnant. And she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, I just want you to think about that for a moment. What if your fiance came to you one night? Uh, sweetheart, there's something I need to tell you. Okay, sure, tell me. Um, I'm pregnant. I mean, if you were a guy, what's the first thing that you would say? Correct me if I'm wrong. Who is it? Right? Please go like this. Don't make me look bad. Okay, thank you guys, okay? But that's what we have. We want to know who is it. And this is what Mary would say. Joseph, I love you. You can trust me. But there was an angel that came to me. His name was Gabriel. And Joseph, he told me that I had found favor with God's eyes. I don't know how or why, but he told me that the Holy Spirit was going to come over me and that I was going to give birth to a baby boy. And I'm just thinking, if I were Joseph, I would probably be thinking, okay, Mary, does this say stupid on my forehead? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, think about being in that place. What else would he believe, right? I imagine there were a lot of tears in that conversation. And I'll bet there was even some anger in that conversation. Maybe Joseph walked off. Because remember, the first stage of a marriage in those days was engagement. And that was done between a father and the young man and the future father-in-law and bride. The second stage was the betrothal. This is where Mary and Joseph are at. They're married, everybody. They just don't get to enjoy the perks of marriage at this point. But for one year, they're engaged. And now Mary comes and tells him, I'm pregnant. Why did the angel come to Joseph? Here's the answer. Because Joseph was struggling. He was having a hard time. His life was turned upside down. Never in his wildest dreams did he think he would be dealing with this. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. I want to tell you something. Can you relate? And what I mean is this. 
Are you going through something in life that has just turned you upside down? Or maybe you've been turned upside down. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you're going through the COVID and you're at home watching. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a a financial thing. But your life, you feel like your life is upside down. Here's what I want you to learn from the story of Joseph. God will come to you in your struggles. You know why? Because he wanted to make sure Joseph was on the same page as Mary, and Mary was on God's page. You have every right when you go through difficult times to ask God, God, show me where you're working. Reveal yourself to me because I promise you God will answer that prayer. That's a prayer he wants to answer. And so God sent angel to Joseph because he wanted them on the same page. Now, I want to ask you a question. Ladies, can you imagine what the meeting was like after the angel had went to Joseph? Joseph probably went back to Mary right away. Mary, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't trust you. I'm so sorry I didn't believe you. But can you give me a little bit of a break? And Mary would say, oh yeah, believe me, I can give you a break. But you know what, Joseph? The only thing that matters on is that we're on the same page. And Joseph, I have a baby inside of me. And it's the son of God. Can you imagine how they felt but how good they felt because they knew they were both now on the same page. I've always said, if I have my wife with me, there isn't anything that I can't go through. All right, let's move on a little bit. Remember last week, we were talking about something that happened in the temple. It happened on the eighth day. Do you remember that? It was the rite of circumcision. Mary and Joseph took Jesus and they went to the temple and he was circumcised there, okay? Remember, that was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? And by Jesus being circumcised, he was, he was showing, demonstrating proof of his being a descendant of Abraham. Well, that's not the only thing that happened there. There's something else that would have happened that was very, very important. During the rite of circumcision, the father always held the baby. And at some point in time in that ceremony, the high priest would have walked up to Joseph. Now here's Joseph, he's holding this baby and the high priest would have said to him, Joseph, by what name will this child be called? Joseph knew the answer, didn't he? Because he had received that answer and Joseph would have said, His name is Jesus. All right, now, something happened in that moment. Something very important. Take a look at this. When Joseph named Jesus, he was accepting legal responsibility as a father. Now, I hope the question that you're asking me is, okay, so what's the big deal about that? Thank you for asking, here's the big deal, okay? Let's go to the Bible. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And one more, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David, 
is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Here's the key point of this. God shows us that in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 shows us the legal authority for Jesus to be from the throne of David. All right, now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to point out something to you. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you will see that there is a genealogy there, okay? Remember, what is Matthew's goal? His goal is to show the world that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. But I also want you to know, if you go to Luke 3, there's another genealogy. All right, so let's get something straightened out here. Matthew is the story of the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. Luke is the story of the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective, okay? Are we clear on that? Now watch what happens here. In Luke 3.23, we read these words. This is where the genealogy is in Luke 3. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Okay? So according to this passage, we're reading that Jesus was the son of Joseph, and Joseph was the son of Heli. Everybody on the same page? Let's go to the next one in Matthew. Let's go to that genealogy. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Houston, we have a problem, right? So in Matthew, it says that Joseph's father was Jacob. But in Luke, it says that Joseph's father is Heli. Well, what gives? Here's the answer. Joseph's father was Jacob. But Heli was Mary's father. Now, this is going to get really good. It's going to get really interesting, but this is very, very critical, okay? Let's go to a scripture verse in Matthew 1, verse 11. Look at what it says here. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, okay, that name Jeconiah can also be Jehoiakim, okay, depending on what version of the Bible you have. And the Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, okay? Now, who was Jeconiah? Jeconiah was a king. And you and I know that as we've studied the Old Testament, the majority of kings in the Old Testament, whether they were over Israel or Judah, were wicked kings, right? Let's go back to the book of Jeremiah, and I want to show you something about what God says about this guy by the name of Jeconiah. Here we go. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. So here's what's happened. 
Jeconiah is in the line of David, and he has been cursed by God. Because he is evil, he's done evil in the sight of the Lord, he has been cursed by God. And so God said, you know what? None of your sons are going to, be, are going to sit on the throne. And an uncle came in and ended up taking over the throne. <clears throat> now watch something here. In Luke 3, now we're back to the genealogy in Luke, here's what it says. The son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Now remember, Luke is the genealogy of Mary. This is what it says. Joseph's genealogy goes through to King David, and it goes through Jeconiah, and it goes through Solomon, and it goes through King David. That's the legal part of it. But Mary, who is also related to King David, bypasses Jeconiah and Solomon and goes to the older brother of Solomon, who is Nathan, the son of David. Now, I know you're probably thinking, so what's the big deal about it? Here's what it is. Matthew shows the legal authority, and Luke shows the purity of the bloodline of Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. God is into the details. And God is saying, not only is Jesus, my son, legally part of the bloodline of David, as what has been prophesied, but he is also from the bloodline of the blood. In other words, the purity of Jesus also runs through King David, through his mother, Mary. Here's what I want you to learn from this that is very important to understand. We know that God is a God of detail, but as you walk through life, just like what we see in this Bible verse, when God comes to reveal himself, he will leave no doubt. There was no doubt that God left, that Jesus was born of a virgin. There is no doubt of the fact that the prophecy said that he would come from the line of David. And some people maybe said, well, legally, but you know, you had that mix up in Jeremiah. And so God says, but what about on the other side here? Now you see the purity of the bloodline. That's the God that we serve. Now, I know you may be asking, okay, so what does that fit in my life? Okay, here's how it fits into your life. Just in between services, I was talking to a young lady who just lost her mother yesterday from COVID. And you know what she was telling me? She was telling me, Pastor Bob, when you were talking about that part, I know exactly what you mean. Because as my mom was going through this, God gave me songs. God gave me words from scripture. There is no doubt that God was in this whole thing from the beginning, and he showed me over and over and over again. And that, my friends, is the goodness of our God, that he had purpose that Jesus would come, not just born of a virgin, but he would come from the line of David. And just to make sure there's no doubt, Jesus comes to, from the line of David on both sides of the family. And all I can say is, what a wonderful Savior. 
Now, there's one other thing that happened at that little ceremony that they had about naming the child. Joseph would have said his name is Jesus, but what I want you to hear loud and clear is that when Joseph said his name is Jesus, Joseph was also proclaiming what he was about. In other words, he was proclaiming the mission of this baby. Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua or Yeshua. And it means God is my salvation. Just like Joshua took the people of Israel through the wilderness, through the desert, he led them to what? The promised land. And so now this baby Jesus will take his people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Anyone who calls on his name, he will take them through the wilderness and the desert of life, and he will take them to the promised land, which is a place that is known as heaven. Jesus' purpose is this. He will save his people from their sins, is what the Bible said. And so when Jesus came, born of this child, of this, when he was born in the manger, he was on a rescue mission. Listen to what the Bible says. Four different passages. Here's the first one. The next day, Jesus, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the second verse. On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's another one. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And one more, for the Son of Man to keep, came to seek and to save the lost. If we don't have Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have forgiveness of sins. God sent Jesus into this world for the purpose of forgiving us of our sins. I want to close with this. When you look through Matthew, you see 42 generations, 42 natural generations, and all of a sudden, there's a supernatural birth. What does that mean? Here's what it means to you. It means that nothing, nothing could stop God from providing a way for you and I to get to him. That's how much he loves you. So let me ask you, so what did Jesus do? Here's what it is. We know that because of our sin, the penalty of our sin is spiritual death. It is also eternal separation from God in a place of judgment called hell. That's the truth. For every man, woman, and child who is breathing on this earth, we will all die. And we will go one or two places. We will go home to be with the Lord or because of our choice, we will choose to be separated from him for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life. And how did that come about? It's real simple. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life under the law, thus fulfilling the law. He willingly went to the cross on your behalf and mine to take the punishment for our sin. When he cried out, it is finished, God stamped his seal of approval that the debt had been paid in full and he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And from that point on, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The purpose of Christmas is that a baby was born, but he was born to die. And because he was born to die, you and I can celebrate Christmas and experience a Christmas like none other. Pastor George is going to come up and we're going to close this by singing a one verse of Away in the Manger, okay? And I just think at Christmas at this time, it's really important that we respond. And so I just want to talk to anybody who's here or watching online. And maybe you're just kind of hanging in the middle. You're not sure where you're at. So this past week, I lost a dear friend of mine, a relative to COVID. I'm headed out this week to do the service. He was a pastor. I'm going to miss him. So are his family members. But I want you to know that as I'm going out to do this service, I have a hope. You see, because we're going out there to not just honor a life, but to worship a God who created that life. And all of us know we're not saying goodbye. All we're saying is, we'll see you later. That's the assurance that you can have that when we go through things like death, we realize it's nothing more than a door. But it's a door to eternity. And I know that's where I'm going to be. And if you're not sure, let's take care of that today. I'll wait up here. I'll be out in the back. We've got other pastors who are here. If you're not sure, come and talk to us. I don't want you to leave today without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, my eternity is secured. And I promise you, you'll celebrate Christmas like you've never celebrated before.